heights to the depths of the sea. When was Jesus glorified? At his resurrection. He was glorified. And it was after that that the Spirit of God was given to his disciples first. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came upon the believers. And now when we receive Christ into our hearts, he indwells us. And then we just wait for that empowerment from on high as he sees fit. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob continues to explore the presence of the Holy Spirit, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Additionally, we also learn that the Holy Spirit is sent to the disciples on the merits of Jesus and in the nature and character of Jesus. The Spirit would be Jesus' officially designated representative to act on his behalf. This is another wonderful example of the truth of the Trinity woven into the fabric of the New Testament. God the Father sends God the Holy Spirit at the request of God the Son. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Crawl into my mother's womb again and be born? And Jesus says, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We were all born of the flesh. We all came out. We were born of water. We were floating around in that little amniotic sack all nice and warm until it broke one day. And then out we came, and then we started to cry because we were very happy in our hot tub. But just as we were born physically, we also need to be born spiritually because we are, our spirit is at enmity with God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that's why we need a new nature. We need a new governor over us, and that is the spirit of God in us. And, and so Nicodemus and Jesus had this wonderful dialogue, and, and Nicodemus came to the Lord later on in life. Later on, actually, in a few years from there, he came to the Lord and he helped Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus down from the cross and they, they anointed his body with uh, ointments and, and, and things and they buried him together, these two wonderful men of God. And so, and notice, he will be in you. Jesus said to the disciples, he dwells with you and will be in you. So let me ask a question. When did the Holy Spirit indwell the disciples? Now, there's a lot of scriptures up here. I'm going to leave this up here for a while because we've got a lot of things to talk about. So when did this actually happen? When were they actually indwelt with the Spirit of God? And I believe if, if you open your Bibles to John chapter 20, just open there if you would. Most of the time I'm spoon-feeding you and uh, I'm just kind of giving you the scriptures. But go there, please, because this is a, a, a critical passage. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Let's look at it. It says, Then the same day, and now this occurred after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, the very day, the Sunday, that he rose from the grave, that very evening he came and he spoke to the disciples 
in the upper room while the door was closed. And it says, the same day at evening, verse 19, being the first day of the week, Sunday that is, when the doors were shut and where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And notice verse 22, very important. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We believe that that is the moment that they were born again that the Spirit of God indwelt those 12 men, or the 11, actually. Judas was already gone. And he breathed on them. The Greek word is emphaseo, and really what it means is to blow at or to breathe on, to puff, literally. And the last time we, uh, this word only occurs um, in the Old Testament, uh, you know that there's a, a thing, a, a writing called the Septuagint, which is really just, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and some Greek translators translated that Hebrew into Greek because we know the New Testament was written in Greek. So they translated the Hebrew into Greek, and they translated this word, and it's only used twice, once here in John 20, and the other time we see it is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God breathed into Adam. He breathed into him. He resuscitated him. He brought him to life. It's the very similar word. And so we believe that this was when the disciples were born again. So what does this mean? Does this mean that everyone in the Old Testament from the moment of creation in the Garden of Eden up until Jesus, does that mean that none of those people were saved and that they're not going to heaven? No, they're going to go to heaven. But it was a different thing because they believed, all of them believed they believed in God, and they believed in the promise of the Messiah. They believed in this one whom the scriptures for hundreds of years had been talking about and prophesying of. They put their faith in God. They put their faith in Christ, and it was by their faith that they were saved. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. By their faith, they were saved. And even if one of the disciples were to die because they ate undercooked lamb chops while they were there with Jesus, before he breathed on them, would they have gone to heaven? Yes, they would have. Why? By faith. Because they believed in Jesus. But now he's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to breathe into them. They're going to receive a new nature. And, King David, and it says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of, your, uh, of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because we would if we could. If we had something to do with it, we would boast and say, I've done this great thing and therefore God owes me. Hey, listen, God owes us nothing. I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. And I'll just be honest with you. Even on my best days, I deserve hell. <laughs> but I'm not going to hell. And if you're a believer, neither are you. But see, King David was saved, and he didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling him, but he believed and had faith in God, and he was saved by grace through faith. And so this indwelling of the Holy Spirit was a new relationship because of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. He would send the Spirit of God. And again, remember that if we don't have Christ in us, we are not His. But when we have the Spirit of God in us, this is what they call, the King James calls it, the earnest of our salvation. 
It's basically a guarantee. If in your new King James, it'll say it's a guarantee. It's a down payment. God, when he when you go to buy a car, you put a you you know most of us anyway, unless you got a lot of cash. Um, most of us put a down payment on a car. We put a couple thousand dollars down on the car, and then we make payments on it. And then finally, we come back and we, at our last payment, we receive that possession, and we take it with us. That's usually how they do it. Now we can take the car home with us, and they. They're hoping that we'll continue to pay the payments. But in most places in the world, that's not the way it is. You've got to make payments, and then when you pay it off, you take it home. But the earnest is the down payment. The Spirit of God in you is that earnest. It's the down payment until Christ comes for us, hopefully today, hopefully before the next word I speak. Wouldn't that be great? He's like, I'm going to interrupt you, Rob. <laughs> Please do. It's all about you, Lord. You just, you know, Whatever. Don't worry, we'll edit the tape. It's all right. You know, but when he comes for us, he's going to take possession physically of us. He's put the down payment in. He's going to redeem what's left, and he's going to change it, and he's going to completely give it a new body, and we're going to be caught up together, and we'll meet him in the air. That's what we call the rapture of the church. It's coming. Do you believe that? The Bible tells us all about it. The Lord revealed that to the Apostle Paul. But it's a guarantee, it's an earnest, it's a down payment. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, verse 21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's a seal that he puts on you that is irrevocable. When that seal, when God places the seal upon you, it's not a seal that he's going to come and take off again and say, well, you know, I changed my mind, you know, because your thoughts really aren't that great. You know, yesterday you thought that evil thought, I got to take the seal off again. You're not one of mine. I'm sorry. Is that, does that sound like God to you? Doesn't he know what I'm going to be thinking? Doesn't Psalm 139 tell us that he knows my thoughts afar off? So if he's going to seal me today, he's got everything else covered. It's under the blood. I just need to turn from it and confess it, right? He's got it covered. That same seal, he's going to seal us, and, and, he's, uh, and that Spirit of God in us is the guarantee. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. In Ephesians, it tells us, in whom, speaking of Jesus, that you trusted in him. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, notice, having believed first, then you were sealed with that Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's when he redeems your body. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that day. I'm tired of this body. You're all getting an upgrade, and it looks beautiful. And you don't have to call Microsoft or Apple to upgrade it either. They're not going to direct debit your credit card. No, God's going to come. He's going to take you in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen so quick. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be transformed and caught up together to meet him in the clouds, and forever we will be with the Lord. Hallelujah! Maranatha! <laughs> right? Lord, come quickly. 
And so it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that the Holy Spirit would be given. Notice it was after his resurrection that he breathed upon the disciples in that room in John chapter 20. That's why I wanted us to read that. In other words, the indwelling of the Spirit and the pouring out or the baptism of the Holy Spirit wouldn't occur until after he was glorified. What does it tell us in John 7? Verse 38, it says, He who believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When was Jesus glorified? At his resurrection. He was glorified. And it was after that that the Spirit of God was given to his disciples first. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came upon the believers. And now when we receive Christ into our hearts, he indwells us. And then we just wait for that empowerment from on high as he sees fit. As he sees fit. And so again, just to recap, we have these these three relationships with us, in us, and upon us. And the Holy Spirit came upon believers in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so we're speaking of this relationship of God when he comes upon us. We're already born again. We're already going to heaven. But now we need power to live, right? But even in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling them. But the Spirit of God certainly came upon them to empower them for certain things. And we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We look at numbers. When Moses, it says that the the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of, of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand here with you. And then I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is upon you, and will put the same upon them. Do you see that? Upon them. The same anointing that Moses had, he was going to do the same thing for those elders because they needed power to help Moses and to minister to the people of Israel. And then later on in that same chapter, in verse 25, it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him, epi, that's the Greek name, upon him, and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But the Spirit of God came upon Old Testament uh, people. We know that Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 33, that all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, they gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He empowered him for a specific task. And the Spirit of God did that in the Old Testament. He did that. And the Holy Spirit came upon Samson in Judges 13, verse 24. It says, So the woman bore a child and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. In Judges 14, verse 6, when, this is when Samson encountered the lion on his way to Timnah to meet a Philistine woman, which he shouldn't have been doing, by the way. Bad boy. 
What does it say in verse 6 of Judges 14? And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion to shreds. He came upon him. And then the Holy Spirit came on Saul, uh, uh, Israel's first king. Upon Saul, not Saul of the New Testament, but Saul of the Old Testament. It tells us in 1 Samuel 11, verse 6, that the Spirit of God came upon Saul. Didn't indwell him, but came upon him. And why? Even though Saul, and God knew this ahead of time, even though Saul was a man who was uh, very self-willed, and he wasn't an obedient man, he didn't obey God and the things that he asked him to do, but the Spirit of God came on them. Why? Because God wanted to give him every opportunity to be a successful king, even though he didn't choose him. He knew he would be a disaster. But he's like, Saul, there's no way you're going to be able to govern my people and do what I want you to do unless you have the Spirit upon you. And so there were times when the Spirit of God would come upon Saul. And the Holy Spirit came upon David, it says in 1 Samuel 16. It says that when Samuel visited Jesse, David's father, it says he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. See, David also knew that the Spirit could be removed from him at that time as well. The Spirit of God didn't indwell the Old Testament believers, but the Spirit came upon them, certainly. And that's why David would make this statement in Psalm 51. He says, Do not take away your presence from me, and, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David was very much aware. He saw it in the life of Saul. He saw the Spirit of God when Saul was, you know, when God uh, ministered to him. He noticed there were times when Saul was doing really well, and he also noticed that when the Spirit of God left Saul, he was a disaster. Then an evil spirit came upon Saul. It tells us that in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. That's pretty troubling. 1 Samuel 18, verse 12, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. The Spirit of God was no longer upon Saul. And we also saw the Holy Spirit departing from Samson. In Judges 16, it says, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, Delilah said. And so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as at other times, and shake myself free. But notice, this is such a horrible thing. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He was so used to this, the Spirit of God coming upon him, and he took it for granted. He, he acted like it was his birthright or something, that he could somehow just manufacture this himself. And God's going, oh, no. Samson, when you're in the flesh, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. <laughs> I'm not going to come upon you in power unless I've given, I'm doing something for a specific reason. And we see the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And again, this new... Uh, experience that we have with the Spirit of God in the New Testament. He, first off, he indwells us, and then he tells us that he will come upon us, just as he did in the, in the Old Testament. But it would be something brand new. We'd have the Spirit in us and then upon us. And the Old Testament prophecies even told us this. It told us in the book of Joel, let me read it to you in chapter 2, verse 28. This is the one that you know very well. In Joel's, in the Old Testament, it says in Chapter 2, verse 28, it says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. 
Obviously, before the New Testament time, before Jesus was born, several hundred years before, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit in those days. So that even the Old Testament prophesied of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, even after the incident with the Old Testament saints, with Samson and Moses and David, even after that, going forward in time, the Spirit of God will say, there's something else that I'm going to do. And even Isaiah in chapter 44, it says, Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Notice that. Does that sound familiar when Jesus said, I'll send a helper? Yes. Same kind of language. I will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and for you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Notice verse 3. For I will pour out on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. God was yet to do it. He was going to do it again. And it would even be more glorious for us because we'd have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And now he's going to be upon us at different times for certain reasons. Again, not for our entertainment, not the kind of stuff you see on television. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why this is so important that we go through, because the world has uh, they've seen a lot of stuff on television. Of these guys who claim to be uh, touting the Holy Spirit, and you know, uh, these guys will take off their jacket, and they'll look at somebody, and they'll go, pow, and that person will fall down and start to wiggle. Pow! And that person will start, you know, fall down and start to well, They'll take their jacket off and they'll wing it at somebody like they, like they are the originator, like they are the manufacturer of it. And God is not into that. I can tell you that right now. He's not. Because what does it do? It glorifies a man. The man is glorified. And whenever a man or a movement is glorified, it is not the Spirit of God. If Jesus is glorified, it's the Spirit, because that's what he's come to do. And we're going to learn that as we get into the next couple of chapters, that he's come to glorify him. The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus. He doesn't glorify a television evangelist, a podcast. He doesn't do any of that. He anoints, or he, he brings glory to Jesus. That's what he does. He doesn't glorify a man or a movement. And then in the New Testament, we see this anticipation of the promise of the Father. Remember, in that upper room, the same day that Jesus was um, resurrected, it tells us in Luke 24, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, and this was at the same time around John 20 that we read, where he breathed upon him. Okay, So he breathed upon them, but then he said this in, in verse 46 in Luke, he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. But notice what he said also. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now Jesus has already breathed on them. They've already had the Spirit in them. But now he's telling them of something different. Now wait until the promise of the Father comes upon you. Right?
That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.